this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. The Jay Allen Show is streaming now on safetyfm.live. Hello and welcome to the Jay Allen Show. Today's Tuesday, July the 28th of 2020. Hopefully everything is going good and grand in your neck of the woods. Well, today we're doing a couple different things. Today we are taking a stab at a video podcast. So let me explain. We will be releasing the podcast in the standard format that we always do. Under your favorite audio catcher. But we are also going to be releasing a video version of the podcast. So if you go to any of our social platforms such as YouTube, Twitch, and so on, you'll be able to see this video content as well. So before I get too winded in regards of talking about this, let me tell you what's going on. Today we get to sit down and have a conversation with Andrea Baker. Andrea's passion is helping people understand the use of the principles of human and organizational performance, HOP. When she is asked what HOP is, she often defines it at a cross between system design and psychology, but that just isn't enough words to define it. So I would like you to take a listen to this conversation between Andrea Baker, the teacher, and myself here on the Jay Allen Show. Hey there. I don't know, well, is it? Perfectly in the ordinary. I don't yes. know. This is our new world, I think. Okay. I think this is just how the world works now. So talking about how the new world works now, how are you enjoying it? Um, Which part? Well, I mean, now that, as our friend Bob Edwards says, the computer hole, how are you liking that aspect of it? The computer hole, um, it has its pros and cons. I, I find it much more tiring in, in not a good way. So, so I find any time that I get to talk about a subject that I love, I find it to be tiring. But usually it's in like a recharging myself way. I find that talking into the computer hole um, is often tiring in a not recharging way where I'm still giving all of the energy I have, but I get very, very small amount of feedback back. Right. So, um, yeah, so it's difficult, but I guess the pros are that, uh, I get to talk to people that I probably normally wouldn't get to talk to, um, or at least it'd be difficult. So there's a couple of folks that, I don't know, for the last two or three years have been trying to attend a course, trying to attend some conference and just have not been able to. And um, they have been asking for some period of time for these sort of virtual engagements to occur. And um, I have not done that yet <laughs> until I was sort of forced to do it. Um, and so, uh, so, were you so prepared, were at you least happy that, that they you, get to attend. Were you, what? were you prepared for this change? Like, were you already getting ready with you seeing everything that was going on? Was it one of those things where you said, okay, this is coming. So we're going to start sh shifting over or it was, okay, we're all on lockdown and now you just have to do it. A little bit of both. So I was uh, familiar with doing training remotely just because of my past life in my corporate role. I had to do a lot of remote training. So uh, I probably kicked and screamed then and then sort of got the kicking and screaming out of my system so that this time when we had to go kind of do this new world, yeah, I didn't have to complain about it mentally as much as I did the first time that 
that I was sort of mandated to do it. So um, historically, a corporation mandated me to do it. Now the world sort of requires that we do it this way. And so um, I was familiar enough with how I wanted to, to do this type of engagement that it wasn't it wasn't nearly as difficult as the first time that I kind of had to struggle through how to do it. So as you look at this now and things have changed and this is the new versionality of what the world looks like, you say that there's a lot more stuff that you have to put into it. So do you feel that people are more adaptive or do you feel that their people are more willing to engage with you because of this format or does this just, you can't really gauge that at all? Um, so what I find is that if, if, if I'm doing classes where people have chosen to attend and they've signed up, then the engagement is maybe even better than it might be in a classroom because, um, I don't know. You, you almost have like equal footing with, with the, each person has a, almost like this private audience with the person who's, who's talking. Right. So when, when I'm teaching and I've got, you know, 20 or so people who are just these independent little squares on the screen, it feels as though you can sort of equally jump in where the dynamic in a classroom is not always that way. Um, you know, people tend to dominate conversation at a specific table. And so you tend to maybe sit back if the person sitting right next to you is dominating that conversation. Um, so that piece is actually surprisingly lovely. I think by the same token, um, if an organization sets up a training and they've sort of required people to come to it, then the mental schema that they have in their mind is like every other training and every other meeting that they have to attend now. And so it's much harder to engage people because they, you know, have, the same mental model that they might've had from, you know, the four or five meetings that they were required to go to that morning where they could be multitasking and, you know, getting their email done. It doesn't feel any different when the only thing that you see is like a little blip on your calendar. It might not even be right, a different color, right? It's just, you look at your calendar day and you're like, Oh, I have this really long meeting. And then suddenly the meeting is supposed to feel different than all the rest of the meetings that I went to today. And I think that's hard for people to adjust to. Um, so they the, do oh, eventually. Right. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, no, my fault. They do eventually, but um, but the kind of the beginning, the beginning feels like pulling teeth to have people be like, oh, no, we're actually going to talk to each other. I'm not going to just talk at you. Well, and that's the other thing, because I've seen some different courses. I've seen the ones where they're Zoom style, then I've seen the ones where they do the interaction directly on a computer screen, or not on a computer screen, but it's just a chat box. Mm-hmm. How soon do you see interaction? How soon are you seeing people engage? Because this is the other thing, because people normally are, kind of shy like me <laughs> um where they're shy and they don't really want to talk at first and then once you get them going they'll go so yeah does that work good in the zoom format um so i try a couple different things um as well as you know when bob edwards and i get to teach together we we try very hard to set a stage where it's easier to talk and one of the ways that we do that is that we'll sign on early and as people join we engage in conversation the same way that you'd engage if people were walking into a room. Um, so rather than it sort of being like, okay, we're starting at this time and suddenly this black screen turns on and everyone is just kind of like there or not there. Um, as people are joining, they're listening to, you know, chit chat about the weather and like what's going on and, you know, how are you feeling today? Um, and that helps people realize that they're allowed to talk. I think we don't really know what the social norms are, right? They, the social norm for a lot of calls is that you're supposed to quietly listen. 
And now we're trying to change that in some circumstances, but it's hard to know, you know, am I supposed to jump in here? Are you expecting me to? Are you not expecting me to? So anything you can do up front to kind of tell people what it will be like, I think helps then people are walking in with their eyes open and, and knowing that they're going to be engaging in conversation and those types of things. So as this changes, let's kind of backtrack a little bit. So you were gone for a period of time doing the hop training stuff because you were out on maternity leave. So I was. <laughs> so congratulations, number one. And then number two, this change, how does this kind of, how did it set everything up for you? I mean, of course, now you have the child at home. You're there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want me dropping names. I'm not dropping names. Um, oh, that's okay. Her name is Penelope. Um, but how does that work now? Do you like it? Because I would imagine that you were kind of set up to start traveling again. So now with this yeah. change that now she's there, you're there. How does this work? Um, sometimes really well and sometimes terribly. Sometimes not well at all. Um, so my original plan was I was going to take some time off and I was going to be home full time. And then I was going to try to do some remote training, but travel at least once a month. So that was what was on my calendar. That's what I was planning on doing. And obviously that's not what happened. Um, so I actually started working sooner than I thought I would. Um, I think three weeks after she was born, I started to do like a virtual session here and there. So that changed and that was hard to adjust to as a new mother of, you know, what, what am I doing? Am I doing this too quickly? Um, I'm sure anyone who has had children can understand if they're trying to balance career and children of, you know, what trade-offs are you trying to make in your head and is that acceptable trade-offs? Um, and so, as I said, started working earlier than I planned but now I also get to be home more often than I planned. So that's a nice trade off. But the physically trying to do both at the same time, not ideal. Not, <laughs> um, I kind of thought I was going to be superwoman originally. I was like, I can do both of these things at the same time, right? I can schedule things during a nap. And, you know, I'm good enough to predict that. I, of course, am totally wrong. That's not true at all. Um, so we did have to um, ask for some help. So we have um, a lovely lady here who, who helps while I'm, she's with Penelope right now <laughs> so that I can do something like this. Um, but sometimes things don't work as planned. And I have done training before where I've had to apologize and be like, this is also my daughter and she's here. <laughs> and I was making this motion for long periods of time. Um, so yeah, best right. laid plans as we know in the hop world. Well, I mean, I think it's one of those things is it's interesting on how it works. And I mean that in the best of ways possible because people can see, you know, there is a real person behind the person because, you know, sometimes we put people on pedestals, especially when they do the things that, such as you do. So I look at it and I go, it's good to see the the humanized version of you behind the scenes. But as we go down this and you're getting to, you know, to be the mother and be the teacher, you have done some different things that most hop practitioners are not doing at the moment. And right now you are offering something every Tuesday at two o'clock mm -hmm. in the afternoon where you're doing kind of a, a private session is what we'll call it where you're opening it to the general public to come in and pretty much ask questions they have about hop. How did you come up with the idea? Um, so I'm not going to take credit for this at all because actually it was Bob Edwards's wife that came up with the idea. Um, and it was something that people had been asking for for a long time. And historically, to be perfectly honest, with all the traveling, there just wasn't a set time that 
we could offer anything like this. So historically, the request always was, hey, is there is there a place that we can go, right? The people who are learning this, the people who are practicing this, the you know people who are experts in this, is there a place we can go, a community that we can get together and just share knowledge and share information? And um, I had tried to create something like that. Like there's a hop collaborators group on LinkedIn, but it just wasn't the same as having a conversation. And so uh, sort of in fits and starts had tried to set up some meetings before where I just kind of connect people that wanted to connect together and just have a conversation. And suddenly when we had all of this scheduling time available and the ability to create sort of a routine schedule without having to worry about flights and, you know, all those other logistics that get in the way, um, there was an opportunity to actually do that, to just to have a time where people could come together and talk and it is one of my favorite times of the week, honestly, to be able to have those conversations because I mean, I don't know, Jay, you're on some of them, so you can kind of give your opinion on this, but I hope they actually help. Like my, my whole goal in doing them is that you're frustrated with something. You don't exactly know where to turn. You actually have a place that you could go ask people who are doing the same thing and we can actually help each other instead of kind of just being frustrated in our own little bubbles. So well, what I like about it, and this is just my opinion, of course, is that it starts off in a very interesting concept. It starts off with, we normally have two questions is normally how it starts on the majority of them. And then it becomes, yeah. well, we're not going to focus on those. We're going to focus on turning it around and saying, talk about whatever you want, which is not a normal standard format because most people can't adapt that quick when it comes to questions and answers. They want to know. I will tell you the amount of people that I talk to that are like, I need to know everything that you're going to ask before it happens. And they normally don't feel comfortable because they don't do that. So you doing it in an open forum and it's not one person and it's not two per people. I've seen, I think up to like 12, 13 people in some of those groups that are hanging out and you just take, you just take them and it's go wherever you want. So I find it amazing that you're, that you're willing to do that, which most people won't. Do you think that that, that that's causes part of the drive? Um, for them or for me, <laughs> it's probably a good combination of both because you, you do have some people that show up and they don't know what to expect. And then you have right. some people from time to time that will jump from one session to another, but you were pretty far booked out. So do you think it drives them because it's kind of the open format and then what drives you on doing it? Um, so I, I think that people like it because they can just bring questions to the table like we were sitting around having coffee and just having a chat about things um rather they than also have access to you let's be real having access to well, I mean, and is other people, right? so i don't <laughs> want to you know so bob edwards is there and we've got helen harris there as well and we've got you know many many people who have lots of great thoughts around this um yeah but you is, have a heart of a teacher let's not play i won't i won't be too, i won't try to drive too much because i know how you don't like compliments too much so i will try to be calm with it but you have the heart of a teacher you will really take these deep dives with people that most people I like won't. to yeah well i like to uh, my entire drive is just to give as much information and help as much with practical advice as possible so i really enjoy the sessions because um it helps expand my thought uh if i was worried that i always had to have an answer i think that i would find that the session is very stressful, but because there's also people on the call that have been doing this for a while and we can tap into each other's knowledge, I feel as though 
for the most part, my job is to facilitate and then offer what I can from my own background. Um, so I'll offer my thoughts and then open it up. And usually some of the best advice comes from other people that are just kind of struggling through the same thing. So I hope that people like coming to it because they feel as though they can actually get information and sort of a straight answer to things. Um, and it feels a little bit less theoretical when you're struggling through the very specifics of this is exactly what I'm trying to do. And these are the exact struggles that I have versus, uh, when you're doing sort of open training with a bunch of people, you have to speak in generalities because it's just, uh, there's just not enough time to go through the specifics for every single person. Um, so I guess the fact that a forum exists to be able to do that for me is exciting because historically, as I said, just wasn't able to figure out how to make it happen. Well, I mean, you also do some things that are uncharacteristic for most people that present. And let me, and I mean this in a good way. So let me, let me make sure that I'm clear here. Yeah. You will literally tell somebody if you don't know something that you won't, that you don't know, and you will grab something. I've seen you grab a phone. I've seen you type into your computer where you will literally look right there on the spot and get the answer that will be best suited for what they're looking for on the moment and not pretending of, Let's put it on. Let's put it on a parking lot. You know, you know the board where you're going to come yeah, back at some point in time. I'll and, put it over here, and I'll you know I'll get back to you. And it never um, happens in most sessions. Not with you. I'm just saying with other ones. That right, right. In general, yeah. No, no. I understand. Um, so, yeah. I mean, so when I guess, you, de I guess you decided wanna... to do, you decided to do this like that, but you're willing to be vulnerable at the same time too, and let people know you don't have all the answers. Where people look at where, where people most of the time. <laughs> But people look at you like you know everything. And I mean that in a good way, because I know sometimes when I say things like that, people go, well, thanks. But you know what you know what I'm saying? Where they no, I, know, I know what you mean. Yeah, no, I, I understand. So I think anytime that you're in a position where you get to share knowledge, whether you're, you know, a professor, whether you're a, a teacher, whether you're a trainer, whatever, um, that folks see it as your job to have the knowledge. Um, I guess I see it as my job to connect knowledge. And along the way, I get to pick a lot of things up, right? I get to learn things myself and I get to explain at least how I managed in situations. And, and I did have a lot of time to get to trial and error things. And it really was trial and error. It wasn't like I, you know, had a playbook to follow and knew what I was doing. It was, uh, it seems like it could be a good idea. Let me try it. Yeah, that did not work how I planned. Let me try again. Um, so I get to share that, but then the rest of my job is just to connect people where I can with other people and other information that I have sort of come across that might be able to help them because I would be, I don't know, I'd be foolish to think that I would ever understand everything about this subject or be able to answer every question. It's just, you know, I'm not, I don't have the mental capacity to do that. I'm sure somebody somewhere does, but I don't have the mental capacity to do that. So um, the best thing I can sort of be is like a weird Rolodex of, of information and uh, throw in some of my own experiences as we go. So when yeah. when would you say, quote unquote, you found this? When What was the timeline that you found Hop? And I will use the term that I like that most people hate, that you fell in love with this portion. I did fall in love with it, though. Okay, good, it, it was good, absolute good. love. It was love at first understanding um hold on first understanding i think i'm still trying to understand this so you have oh, to yeah. okay so <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the wrong way to say it um i yeah for sure i'm still also trying to understand it first um first recognition maybe that's a better way but love it first recognition so i before being exposed to what i would call like formally exposed to hop concepts um i thought i was 
trying to do them and felt like I was always swimming upstream. So I almost got, I'm not going to say I almost got fired because it's probably an exaggeration. It, it felt like it at the time. But there, there's say, a different got, term. There's a different term. You almost got promoted to customer. That's why I, I got promoted to customer. <laughs> so at the time it was, um, it was very traumatic for me. I was an intern, right? So I'm interning with this company and I was told, I, I didn't go to school for safety related anything, right? I went to school for engineering. So I don't know anything about the subject when I walk in as an intern. And one of the first things that um, my mentor at the time told me is that, you know, here at this company, we believe that all accidents are preventable. And I was like, that doesn't seem right. And I was given sort of this very firm talking to about how if I was going to survive here, I needed to understand that that was true. And sort of in the back of my head, I was like, okay, well, I, I know that we, we strive, we're striving for that. Like, I understand that we strive for that, but still fundamentally, it seems like thinking that that is a truth in the world is probably going to set us up for failure. So that was the first inkling that maybe I was swimming in the wrong direction compared to the rest of the folks that were in, you know, the corporation with me. And then kind of throughout my entire career, I always felt like I was um, on the wrong side of the argument at the time until... I heard about human and organizational performance. And the first time I heard about it was from Dr. Todd Conklin. I didn't know who he was at the time. He walked into a plant that I was working at and started talking about these concepts. And um, I like naively walked up to him having no idea who he was and was like, hey, this is really cool stuff. Like, could you teach me more? Um, and he very graciously said yes. But uh, when I heard the concepts, it was my first understanding that there were other people that thought the same way that I was thinking and that there were actually terms to describe why I was thinking it this way and that there was a community of people trying to make a change. Um, and so that's when I absolutely fell in love with the concepts. I think I was in love with them all along, but that's when I had a name. I had a name to fall in love with at that point. Now, I'm going to ask the very rude question. What year are we talking about? Oh, that's a good question. Um, and I'm really bad at dates. That's the only reason it's taking me so long. Hold on. You remember your, your birth date, your wedding date, and your kid's birthday? No, so. I don't. Well, no, no, no. So my husband has to remind me when 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 we were married. Um, and when I go to the doctor's office and they ask me when my daughter was born, I've gotten it wrong twice. So I'm not kidding you when I told you that I don't know. Um, so I actually have to do math backwards. I'm going to give a guesstimate, but it's literally just a guesstimate about eight years ago. Okay. So it was eight I can, years I can, ago. Mm -hmm. Eight years. Yeah. So I can eight, do the math for you if you need. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. If you need like a specific date. I will yes. I need the date, the time that it clicked. No. Oh, two, I think it was eight years ago. <laughs> so we're talking roughly 2012. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how does this transition for you? How do you start looking at this and go, I like it. I want to move forward with this. And at what point do you say, I'm going to leave what I'm doing to go the, do this and teach the world? And let me rephrase that because I know you probably didn't use the term teach the world, but go out no, and teach. And, 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 <laughs> I know, I know. I've learned. <laughs> but now um, go out there and teach this to other people. So there are a couple, couple phases of this because first it wasn't my job to teach this concept right. like within my own corporation like not my job at all um now and you're still so, interning at this time is this still no, intern no, no, when no. You're, okay. no so i was uh at the time i heard it i was in an, and this is why i'm like questioning the date because i'm trying to make sure <laughs> i employed at the right time at this point but um at the time i was uh, an environmental health and safety leader at like a, a facility and i loved the concept so much so that i 
kind of didn't want to do my day job and just wanted to focus on the concepts. And so, um, on some of my own personal time, obviously I read a bunch of things and then I went to seminars and stuff. And I just got lucky that at one point, um, I was asked to talk on the subject mainly because I think people just saw me hanging around a lot. They're, they're like, well, you've clearly heard this, you know, talk enough times that would you go have this, this little discussion. And it was, it was with some, um, OSHA regulators. It was, or maybe it was a regional OSHA conference. All I remember was being nervous because the name OSHA was involved. Right. And so up until that point in my career, it was like, you know, they're the regulator and like, how dare you? So I did not feel prepared at all to have this discussion. But at the time that I had it, there happened to be somebody that worked at um, my corporation sitting in the room as well. And so when I was done talking, he approached me and said, Hey, don't you work for the same company as I do? And I said, I, I think so. Yeah. And so he asked whether or not I would have the same talk at his facility. So that's actually how I started talking to this subject within my own corporation was just word of mouth of doing that a bunch of times. And sort of the same thing started to happen sort of outside of the corporation. So once I started doing it as my full-time job, which took several years of this transition, um, then every once in a while, somebody would say, Hey, are you willing to do this? Like not for your own company. And I said, I think so, but I don't know if it's legal. So <laughs> I, had <to> like, <laughs> I had to like ask, you know, have all the conversations with HR and lawyers and stuff. Um, and so I was able to do that on my own time for a little bit. Um, and then, uh, my husband and I were moving and I had to change jobs and the job that I really wanted was no longer available. And so it just felt like the right time that, you know, if I was going to make a jump, I would make it. And I was really lucky enough to have a husband who was supportive and said, you know, you can make the leap. And, you know, if there's no water at the bottom, it's okay. You know, I'll be there. I'll catch you and we'll just do something else. So. Oh, it wasn't the traditional, if you, you have to pick me or the career. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, not like that at all. Very lucky. <laughs> so at what point in life during this whole thing, does Bob Edwards come into your life? Oh, so early on. So I met him probably like the week after I met uh, Todd Conklin, because he also was speaking about this stuff within his own, you know, sector of the business. And he came to my facility to talk about learning teams. And in our conversation, we realized that I was doing learning teams, but I had never called them a learning team before I had been doing alternative event investigation. <laughs> wow. What a great name. <laughs> Sounds like more of a name that I'd come up with. Right. Um, and so when we started sort of comparing notes, um, we said, well, there's so many similarities here that we started to talk about teaching it together. And then, you know, I learned from what he was doing and he learned what from what I was doing. And so we started to make some changes as to, um, what we now call learning teams. Um, but at the time, I honestly think that name was just kind of made up on the spot. I'm uh, pretty sure that at one point, Bob looked at Todd. He's like, so what are these things that, you know, we started to do? And he's like, I don't know. It's like a group of people together. It's like a, a, a team. And um, I think we're learning. So <laughs> seems like probably be a learning team. We're like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. Right. So <laughs> sounds like a whole bunch of better questions to me. No, just joking. So you decide to start. So you're at what point do you move that you leave the country and you're working for this organization outside of the country? Oh, so that was. Uh, That's for I, people that I, don't know the backstory. You know, yeah, there, so, there was a portion where you were not in the U.S. 
Gosh, you're asking me dates again. So I think I've been doing this on my own for three years, right? So I have to work backwards. I'm not, I don't kid. We can go ballpark. It doesn't have to be exact. It doesn't have to be like May 1st. But my problem is my ballpark is sometimes like in the wrong state. Like you ask me what ballpark I'm in, and my husband looks at me, he's like, that's not even close, Andrea. So, um, so three, so I've been doing this on my own for three years. And then I thought it was uh, two. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) You could be right. Um, and then um, before that, uh, we got to, my husband and I got to live in Italy. Sorry, I keep hitting my screen, which is making me move, um, for two years. So two and a half years. So add those together. And that's when I moved from the U.S. We were living in uh, Cincinnati, and we got to go over and live in um, Turin, Italy, Torino, Italy. I mean, nothing against Cincinnati, but Cincinnati to Italy, you know, world of change it's a, there. It's a sure. pretty big change, especially because <laughs> we got to live in like the city center of this beautiful city that I probably think um, is undervalued by tourism, which was wonderful for us because there weren't like a lot of tourists in the area. And we got to actually see what it was like to live there. Um, but also it's, it's a gem that people should be, you know, visiting more often because it really is a really beautiful city. So. So do you learn the language while you're there and then start teaching hop as well? Or how does that end up coming about? So I got lucky that I did not have to learn the language to teach. Um, I was able to teach in English and I was able to teach, um, throughout Europe, um, and, yeah, throughout Europe, I think part of the regions that I helped with were outside of Europe, but I don't think I physically taught anywhere except in Europe during that time, um, Western and Eastern Europe. And so I got to speak in, in English and I was in a lot of different places. Um, my husband learned Italian quite well, so he worked in a plant. And by the time we left, he was, you know, all of his meetings were in Italian and, you know, I'm just thoroughly impressed by his ability to do that. Me, on the other hand, uh, I could get to a grocery store and I could hold, you know, really terrible conversation with people that was not intellectual at all. That made me sound like I was probably at like a fifth grade reading level, but, um, that's good in some places. I'm just saying, (laughs) but, (laughs) but anyway, um, so yeah, so I I was lucky to get to to get to be able to do this in English, and um, I think that is probably one of the bigger downfalls that we have is like sort of a global community is there are not that many people that are thinking in this direction and can speak as many languages as we need in order to cover the communities that we're looking to cover, right? So there's a lot of people that are multilingual and there's a lot of people that are studying this, you know, that have the ability to speak, you know, more languages than I could even imagine trying to speak. But still, even with that, there's a lot of groups of people that um, we've run into along the way that we just can't reach because there, there is a language barrier. um, And it's hard to find people that are able to willing to actively translate the concepts because there's so much nuance to what, we're trying to discuss that it's, it's hard when it's your native tongue, it's hard to talk about. Um, and so, yeah, one of my hopes for the future is that we have some more folks with, with, um, language abilities that can help. Well, I get to talk to all kinds of people and as you might know or not know, what I end up seeing a lot of is that a lot of people say that only probably about 10% of people have heard about hop. Do you think because of how things are going right now and, people being able to have access the way that things are set up currently, this will make it easier for that number to possibly increase. I do, 
but I'm also a little bit worried that this could be the moment where some of these really difficult nuanced concepts become very watered down um, because it's hard. I mean, it's really hard to talk about real things through a computer hole, you know, I mean, <laughs> you, you, you so just called it that too. I <laughs> you know, it's stuck now. I'm sorry. It's stuck forever. Shout out, shout out to Mark Yeston. I'm pretty sure that was his original term. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard. And unless you are passionate about people understanding that piece of this, I don't see any reason why you'd want to, why you'd want to spend the day because it, it drains you of energy to, to be able to do it. Um, it drains you of energy in person, but it, dr- it drains you even more of energy, you know, when you're far away. Um, and so I, my, I guess my concern is that very well-meaning people, um, will inadvertently water down some of the concepts and people will walk away with just, uh, the ideas of some tools to use without understanding where they come from. Um, and then hop becomes a program, um, which we kind of know the history and the fate of programs of, you know, we do it for a little bit. And then because our belief system around things, our assumptions haven't changed about the world, then we don't really see any reason to do it after a while. It's just, you know, it's the flavor of the month. Um, you know, and you so, might have yeah. just scared off some of the audience by saying that Hop is not a program. They're going to be like, what? It's not. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a program. It's a, it's a philosophy. And well, so, where's the pills? If, where's the pills? No. <laughs> where's the pills? Exactly. Matrix pills. So it's a philosophy. And, um, and it augments a bunch of the things that we do, safety being one of them. And, you know, not everyone has to speak to the philosophy. I, I understand that, right? Not everyone wants to speak to the philosophy. But if we don't understand where it comes from, from and we don't struggle to think differently well then none of the tools help us because the, the the tools have to be used in this frame of mind and to get to the frame of mind you have to do some personal work to think about the world differently than maybe we have before so for the people that are out there that say that a lot of the stuff about hop and i'm asking a question not trying to be a jackass because it's really no no, no i that say that it's that it's pseudo science what do you think your opinion your opinion is what i'm asking opinion. so so my opinion is that it's actually based on extremely well documented understandings of how the human brain works um i think we don't know everything about how we're trying to apply it and i think that that's true about almost everything that we do um in the world but it's i mean it's based on psychology and complexity science, right? I, so <laughs> it's based on what we currently know about those things. That's what it's based on. Um, and there's a lot of very, very intelligent people that spend their entire careers teaching us what they know about those concepts. Um, and so there'd be a lot of people that would be wrong in a lot of places. I'm not saying it's impossible. Um, but what I do think is that when these philosophies are taught well, they're very, very hard to argue with because they line up with so many other concepts about how we know as human beings we would like to live. And I think that's the strength of it because it draws from it draws from like even adages that your parents taught you growing up, right? It's it's um my parents. I don't know if we want to talk about maybe. That. Okay, <laughs> some of our parents taught us. Right? 
Um, and so, yeah, I, I personally had the same concern, right, Jay? I, I, you know, when I heard all of this and I was like enamored with the concept in the back of my mind, I said, but what is this based on? Like, is this just like somebody like with some really cool ideas getting up and just like being really good at, you know, talking to people and convincing people? Like, am I like marching off a cliff somewhere and I don't even see the cliff coming? And so part of what I needed to do for my own understanding is to understand where this comes from. Um, and where these ideas are drawn from. And so actually my personal, I guess the aha moment for me was understanding complexity science. And I say understanding very loosely, right? Cause I'm not an expert in complexity science, but, um, in reading about how complex worlds work, right? complex environments. It, it was like light bulb, light bulb, light bulb. This is why we do this. This is where that thought comes from. This is, and it suddenly started to make a lot of sense as to where all the information was coming from. Not all of it. That's probably an overstatement where much of the information is coming from. Well, I mean, and you have so much belief and faith in this and how these concepts work that you've done something. And it's been a, w- a little while where you've done it. I think it's a year and change just in case for, for, for purposes. Oh yeah. You could do the timeline for me. That'd be great. <laughs> but you and three others at the time developed something called hop hub and you decided to give out all the resources of everything that you teach, not for a fee, not for a membership for people to have. And it's not some of the things that you teach. It is the actual presentations that people go to your classes to, at least the ones that were in person at the time. I don't know how. Yeah. The virtual stuff's all up there too. Okay. So how did you come up with with the idea and I guess the other question is, why did you decide to come up with the idea? Um, so the how is probably not nearly as um, romantic as it should be. Like I could come up with like a romantic backstory and that'd be that's awesome. The, that's but, the whole point, right? But there is no romantic back. The how was, um, you know, we got together as, as the small group that we were at the point and realized that um, just like the logistics of trying to get people, our slide decks was hard. And so we should just put them somewhere so that we can always just say, here, just go to this website. And that's where it is. Yeah. That's um, not very romantic at all. And yeah, it's not romantic right. at all. And, and then in order to, um, make sure that people like knew they were in the right place, you know, as I'm setting up the website, I was like, we should probably at least have like a page that says who we are on it. Right. So that, Oh, so this is, this is what it is in case you Google it and you find out, you, you know, who these people are and where, where this information is coming from. Cause originally it was just going to be like a page with like just resources on it and, and nothing else. I was like, that kind of doesn't look professional. Um, so yeah, so that's the unromantic story of where it came from. The idea of giving away slides. I'm also not going to take any credit for that because that's what was, that's how I started to learn was the fact that people were willing to teach me and teach me freely and give me access to what they were using as teaching material so that I didn't have to recreate everything. And without that stepping stone to begin to try to explain any of this to someone that was in my own corporation at the time, it would have, it would have felt uh, like too big of a barrier. And so um, the goal of giving it away is so that hopefully we can just create more of people that are able to talk to it because the more we can talk to it, the more that other people understand. And there's a lot of people in the world, right? So there's no way that, you know, a small group of people that are teaching this now will be able to get that information out to everyone. Um, so yeah, so that's the reason. 
Well, I mean, it's interesting because here's the thing, and I, and I will say this that way. I don't, for you don't sound like the bad person, but I will say it. I um, <laughs> there's people that actually don't actually give out any of their materials. They are very protective of their materials. They want to make this a program, as you say, that it is not. Um, and it's their intellectual property, and there'll be some name changes. And you're disrupting the system. It almost reminds me of an older movie I seen many years ago called The Saint, where the lady wanted to give free fusion to the world um, for power. So when you look at it and you go, you're becoming a market disruptor, was that part of the intent? No, no. And actually, I really apologize if that's happening to people because that was not the intent at all. Um, no, like literally no, um, no thought that that would even happen. Just based on my inability to see the bigger picture, right? So when you start doing stuff like this, you don't even have an understanding of who else is in the community doing these things and you certainly don't know what their business plans are. Right. So, um, Oh, if you only knew. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, there was probably just like lack of understanding from my part specifically is, um, not recognizing that something like that could be detrimental to other people in my head. It's only helpful, but clearly I'm sure from other people's perspective, it's not based on what you're saying. Right. So, um, so sorry for, for that. <laughs> is it, doesn't it go like this? Sorry, not sorry. Um, so sorry, but, but no, because I do, I do empathize. I empathize a lot. So, so the first sort of sets of material that, you know, I, I spoke to, I'd say like 98% of it was something that somebody gave me. Right. And then the more it became more and more what I do and put time and energy and effort into, um, the more it feels like you should own it, right? You should have ownership. Like I put, I put energy into it. I, I had to do research. I had to, you know, it's my blood, sweat and tears into it. So the, I think the longer that you spend your personal time, energy, ideas, the more it feels like you should be able to own it. And the, the more right you do have to own it. Um, and so I, I can understand where that comes from. Right. Um, it's cause I have to remind myself every once in a while, well, I'll see. So I'll, you know, <laughs> I'll work for a group and they will ask me to do a presentation and every once in a while they'll say, Hey, can we see your slides ahead of time? And so I'm sure. So I send them slides that I'm planning on talking to and they'll say something like, well, actually, no, we really want you to cover these five slides and they'll send me slides back. And they're my slides from like years ago that they don't even know where it came from. Right. They're so, it's moments like that, that I'm both absolutely excited I'm, because that's the reason that we did it to begin with. But then there is a part of me, right? It's this sort of like human selfish part that we all have that says, you didn't even know it was mine, right? Like you're telling me how to, you didn't even know I did this. Like, it, and so I have to continually remind myself to know that's, that's why we're doing it. We're doing it so more people understand, get out of your own way, Andrea, because, um, that's not helping people, you know? So when you look so at that, 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 that yeah. in particular, in regards to the, giving the five slides aspect, do you, does that happen quite often where people say, I want you to go slightly a different direction than what you originally had planned? Um, and, and keep in mind that you're, you're still going down yeah. the same path, but at the same time, it's, well, no, we want you to focus on this, even if it might be a little bit older stuff that you had done. And that's the other thing about slides. I think that they're kind of, they help. They're kind of a, a memory clicker where you can kind of move forward, opposed to it being where I hate going to presentations where somebody's reading a slide to me. I was like, I can do that. Just send me the deck. Right. Yeah. 
Um, so as you look at it, do you, do, you, do you like a lot of, do you like a lot of, the first one would be like, do you like the direction when people say, Hey, I want you to change it a little bit, even though they still haven't even seen your original, your original thought. So I love when people give me context. Um, I really, in, in the similar fashion as having these, you know, Tuesdays at two where people come and they say, this is my specific problem. When an organization says, this is where we are, this is what I'm concerned about, the, this is the terminology that we use, um, this is how I think things will land with people, I, I find all that to be extremely helpful because that means I can tailor how I'm speaking to make sure that people can hear me. Because, I mean, the, the message doesn't change, but whether or not people can hear you changes. Um, and so the more that I can speak in a way that people are going to be receptive, the better off it is for everyone. Um, so I love that. I don't love, and I don't think anyone loves, right? So I don't think anyone loves when somebody says, no, this is, this is the cookie cutter of what I'd like you to do. And, um, I'm pretty open with people that, that I'm not going to do that. So I, I respect, I respect <laughs> what you're saying, but tell me why you tell me the intent tell me the intent of what you're trying to do with directing me that way. And are you okay with the fact that I'm going to try to meet that intent using my understanding of how to meet that intent based on, you know, doing this a bunch. Um, and I if so they're not okay that with you've it, read that book question behind a question. I am so, yeah. <laughs> no, there is a book called that. And it's a great I believe book. You. I and believe I really it. believe that you've read it. it. Yeah. Um, it's QBQ so, is what it's called, by the way. <laughs> okay. I will. I'll actually, I'll have to read it and be like, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully my brain is processing things. So, um, so I'll try to, I'll try to find out why. Right. And then if they are adamant, absolutely adamant that, Hey, I really need you to say it this way specifically. And, and that goes against my belief of what I think is going to be helpful. Um, I actually won't do it. Meaning I, I will tell them, I'm sorry, I don't think I'm the right person for you. Um, because, I have done it a couple times and, and it has not worked out. Right. So I've had a couple of companies that asked me to go in and specifically teach like these tools. I would like you to teach these tools. And I go in thinking that people understand the entire philosophy and they're already thinking this way and I have been wrong. Right. And so the tools fall flat. People don't understand what they're used for. Um, it's, it's clear that the tools themselves, if they were used would not be used as they were originally intended. And, um, so I learned that the hard way a couple times, and and now I just say sorry. Here's sorry. somebody that would be willing to help you just in that aspect. But sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm going to give you. I'm going to serve somebody up to you that will adapt to whatever you need. We'll adapt to what you're looking for, and they'll, sell, I, and, and they'll sell their soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just. I mean, honestly, I'm stubborn. I'm I'm stubborn, and you know, like I think many people, I like to have control over my messaging, and I feel as though it's part of me. I'm giving away a part of me every time I have this conversation. And so it's very hard for me to be directed as to how to do that. I will, um, I will never agree or disagree with somebody when they say they're stubborn. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> it's better that way. That's absolutely true. You know, I'm <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 no. Don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> okay. So right now, just a couple more questions. And I know that you're, you're being very kind of your time in regards of, you know, being able to come on. When you look at this, are you enjoying this more in regards to doing the individual person that comes into the class, or are you liking it more with the interaction with the companies? And I know that that's kind of a terrible question to oh, ask. Oh, no, it's a great question, and I have a very specific answer. Um, 
I very, I think I would have predicted that I wanted it to go the other way around where my prediction would have been, I would much more like to engage with a company that wants, you know, a specific group of people to understand this philosophy. And I don't think that anymore. Um, so, so I am much more energized by doing classes where people are coming in and they, they come not associated with their company. I mean, loosely associated with their company, right. But they come in as an individual. Sometimes they're sponsored by their company to come in. And the reason why I enjoy that so much is because there's a lot more interaction that doesn't feel as though you are put into sort of your own bubble of understanding of the world, right? So within a company, there's very specific assumptions, social norms that have been created. And when you're working with a company, you step into those social norms and oftentimes you don't know what they are, Um, but everyone else does. And so you can easily step on something you didn't intend to step on. And so you're constantly trying to figure out what those norms are and then do your best to show people that the world outside of their organization does not necessarily look the same way that it does in their organization. And they kind of have to just take your word for it because you're the only one there, right, thinking that or saying that. When you have a bunch of people coming from all over the place, all of those little bubbles break down and people are much more willing to openly talk. They're much more willing to um, discuss sort of the social norms that they don't agree with in their company. And they hear and see from a lot of other people that it doesn't have to be that way. Right. So each for every I'm concerned about this discussion in the room, there might be 20 other people who are like, we were concerned about that. And this is what we did. And those ideas might all be slightly different. Um, But that's exciting to me because they're not stuck in sort of their echo chamber as they are when you're all with your, your own corporation. So what has, what has down this journey has been something that you didn't expect to happen that's happened so far, especially going out on your own? Oh, all of it. Uh, <laughs> I, I never expected uh, anything. I really didn't. So I kind of thought that I would, you know, move back. So at the time that the time that I started to do this on my own was the same time we were moving back from, from Europe back to the U S and I kind of thought, you know, I'll, I'll try this and I'll give it a go for like three months. And if I get no work, then I'll go search for a job where we live and that'll be that. Um, so from the very beginning when I didn't have to do that after three months, um, I was surprised. And so I'm continually surprised about how many people are willing to listen to the subject about how many places it applies, right? So I lived in the safety bubble. And then the more I started to talk to people, the more we realized that people are using these concepts for a lot of other things. There's a gentleman that, um, you know, Bob and I had the honor of being able to work with, and he's using the concept of learning teams to help with police forces, um, walking through how they want to change and how they want the future to look. Um, There are people that have started to use these concepts to figure out how to reopen schools. Um, There are people that have started to use these concepts uh, to think about how they want to look at education as a whole. Like um, how do we teach parents to, I'm going to say be better parents, but that sounds terrible, right? But how do we teach parents? Be better parents. It's okay. I'll say it. (laughs) Um, So the, the applications that 
other people besides myself can see for what we're talking about gets me excited every time. And that's probably something that I could have never predicted. Now, if people want to get more information about you and the work that you're doing, where can they go? If they go to HopHub, there's links to all of the folks that are on the HopHub. So it's hophub.org. Um, and so there's links that give more information about each of the individuals that are, are part of that. So you just find my name somewhere or just my picture. If you find my name somewhere, my name. it's there. It's there. <laughs> it's there. It's on there. Um, and then that links to links to other stuff. And you can Google Andrea Baker, but you'll get a singer. I think it's a singer. It's an actress. It's, it's an actress. It's an act- Thank you. Actress. <laughs> Um, so that won't help you. Um, but you can Google Andrea Baker and HOP and you might get some fairly useful stuff. Well, Andrea, I appreciate you actually coming on and being so gracious with your time. Truly appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. This brings another episode of the Jay Allen show to an end. I appreciate Andrea Baker taking the time today to have this conversation with us. If you're interested in gathering more information about Andrea, go to hophub.org. That is H-O-P-H-U-B dot org. Inside of there, there is a section that talks about the classes that she'll be teaching under live virtual. Make sure to click on it and take a look. This will bring another episode of the Jay Allen Show to an end. Thank you for always being the best part of Safety FM, and that is the listener. Don't forget that this Wednesday, July the 29th, we'll be having our Hop 101 class, covering the foundations and fundamentals of human and organizational performance. If you're interested in more information, go to safetyfm.io. We'll be back with another episode of The Jay Allen Show before too long. Goodbye for now. Want more of The Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.